0: Cancer has plagued Crystal Barter's family for generations, her mom at 36, her nan at 44, and her great grandma at 68. In her 20s, Crystal discovered this was not by chance, but that she was the carrier of a genetic mutation, BRCA1. At the age of 25, she surgically removed her breast and she became a preventative cancer advocate, launching Pink Hope. Crystal, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I am thrilled to have you and intrigued. And we were talking before I hit record. And um, why don't you take us back to the beginning of your cancer journey, which you told me really started in your teens.
1: Yeah. So I knew from a really, really young age that there was something very different with my family. Like I said before, my nan had concave chests with, basically skin and ribs, Um, and I used to play with her prosthesis um, when I was really little and thought it was a bit of a cack. But it wasn't until my mum was diagnosed um, with breast cancer at 36, and I can very vividly remember the moment when... I heard kind of wailing, crying, coming from the hallway in my small family home at the time. Um, and my nan was cuddling my mom and she'd just been told that she had breast cancer. And that was just a really kind of vivid moment for me where it was like one breast cancer survivor cuddling another one and taking her down the same road. Um, how, how
0: old were you when that happened? I was 14.
1: So for, for me, I was struggling in my teens in general um, with body image and my own breast growing. And yet I had, who were meant to be two of the strongest women in my family, absolutely falling apart because for my Nan, she felt like this overwhelming guilt. Um, you know, I come from a family that was from a small country town in New Zealand in a place called Matamata and they called it the Codlin Curse. Because that was my great-great-grandmother and she has Jewish ancestry. Um, and they came from Prussia and they came to New Zealand and there was nine children and they all they think carried the gene mutation. They were wow. all dying at various stages of cancer and to a small country town back back in the day. It was a curse, their family's curse. So we carried that curse through the generations where people just died. You got cancer and you died, um, and the really only two survivors in my family are myself and my mom. And um, That's I think that's because she moved to Australia and the healthcare system that we've got over here.
0: Oh my goodness! Um, so, so what was it like for your mom? Since we started with her, let's start there. What was it like for her and for you? Um, I think with my mom, um, you know, she was really young.
1: Like I'm 37, and 36 is still quite young and she just really didn't cope. She she loved her breasts. Like she had a great little figure and she loved it and she was fun and spontaneous and it felt for a long period of time like cancer stripped that from her um she didn't cope with her mastectomy at all um she has like really bad uh, reactions to anesthetics and any kind of painkillers she ended up like comatose an ambulance had to come and get her so I have like all these memories of like being left when the amp- ambulance took my mom and dad to the hospital and I was left with my little brother and it was you know my nan was inside but she was a mess and I just I have all those memories of where I know how fortunate I am today, but it doesn't take away from the fact of how life changing those moments are where it just, in that moment, you can't think about anything else, but is my mum going to die? You know, am I going to die? I started from 15 or 16 freaking out because my breasts were growing and there's lumps in them, and I would scream because I'd feel a lump. And I was, I'm overly dramatic at the best <laughs> of times. And putting hormones in 15 and 16 when I'd seen so how much cancer strips a woman of the future that she thought she'd have for herself. And it took my mum a long time to get back to some kind of normalcy. Um, I don't even think still to this day, um, she, the amount of surgery she's had, she's had so many issues with her body that I don't ever think I really got my mum back from that point, but she's here. And that's the best outcome. And I know with cancer and especially BRCA related cancers, how lucky I am.
0: How do you think her diagnosis and and, and just going through it, how do you think that affected those teenage years for you oh I definitely
1: um was someone who um liked to run away from things liked to I I turned to drugs and alcohol to be honest um through the majority of my teens it wasn't until I found the love of my life and he was the had never smoked a cigarette was the cleanest personal training (laughs) ever meet and he turned my life around. But I really struggled. I found more solace um escaping than I did facing a reality that was my family cursed because we didn't know about the bracagine then. It was right. it, it was that that fear of, well I'm gonna die anyway. So I might as well have fun. <laughs> and that was escapism for me, I think, looking back at it was it was easier to not be me and to dull the sense of fear and anxiety than be present in it.
0: How did it affect your relationship with your mother? Because I'm thinking of another uh, person who shared their story and he's a current uh, esophageal cancer patient and his mother had cancer um, all through his teens. And, and he was so much in fear of losing her and knew, and knew he would knew at some point she would die and that he just separated himself from her to the point where he wouldn't really touch her after he the age of 14 or 15 um, because he just slowly withdrew from her um, oh. so did, did that affect you at all did you treat your mother differently oh definitely her and i didn't
1: have much of a good relationship. She's an amazing mom. Um, I was a terrible daughter. (laughs) Um, I, I think, you know, I really did withdraw, withdraw from her for most of my teens. It wasn't until I became a mother myself and I held my firstborn baby in my arms. that I actually went, I get it. I get everything. I get why you were so worried about me. And I, like, I get the fear that you had, like, because every bit of my life was transferred into this little human where I was like, I actually don't even today want to live for myself. Like this is for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I fell pregnant at 20, had my first baby at 21. Um, so that was a big shock (laughs) falling pregnant so young, but Still with my husband, we've got three beautiful children, and that, and that little boy that kind of really put me on the path um, to turning my life around is now nearly sixteen.
0: <laughs>
1: oh my goodness! Uh, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and how old your youngest? So what's the range? Um, so uh, Riley's sixteen, nearly sixteen. Um, Jai is nearly thirteen, and Bon is ten.
0: Oh, how much are they? aware of this family history
1: from a really young age um, they've been involved in the work that I've done and I don't push it on them um, I'm very liberal in my views there that kids are pretty smart I don't want to put too much on them they'll ask the questions when <laughs> when they need to or when they want to but I'm super open like I'm an open book essentially, that if they have any concerns, I just say, come to me, talk to me about it. I definitely think that I wasn't ready at 18, say, to be tested. Um, I needed to find the right time in my life to be tested for BRCA and I just want to make sure that I do the right thing by them and don't pressure them in any way. Um, And that's hard, like being a parent, you i think this this concept of knowledge is power it's so true but i also want them to enjoy their lives and their their teens um i think that that i didn't i did i enjoyed my teens but i had this shadow over my life from such a young age that i kind of wanted to make theirs more
0: of a rainbow if i could <laughs> Well, you gave me, and I apologize for people who are watching saw the cat. And I, <laughs> there's a little moment here. She's trying to get my lap, and she's thinking about jumping on top of the thing behind me. So we're gonna. Just... <laughs> I've got
1: two dogs, so they normally scratch at the door, or will come in at various
0: times. So she somehow thinks she's going to reach that ceiling fan, and that's not going to happen. But just <laughs> take them out. When did you get tested? Why was that the right time? And what did you do? So my mom and
1: nan were tested when I was about 17, 18. Um, And they were one of the first people in the country that was like well over 20, um, yeah, over 20 years ago. Um, My nan found a scientist who was one of the first to work on it when my uncle was in hospital going through something, uh, my great uncle, and she just said help my family please help my family and they said we have these gene mutations you may have them it's a blood test and my nan and mum were tested for it and it took a long time like it took months and months and months and it came back in my mom first and then it came back in my nan and then the moment i turned 18 i was presented with this option you know you should have a BRCA gene mutation i actually went as far as Going in to have the blood test at 18, and bursting into tears, like literally, like removing everything and running out. And I just said, "I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready for this information. I just want to live my life. I want to have fun. I, I just want to party. I don't know <laughs> um, right. And I buried my head in the sand in a major way from when I was probably 14. until the very first thing I said to my husband when I held my baby in my arms was I have to get tested now that's not a normal first kind of sentence when you have a baby (laughs) Um, but for me that was just like I have to do this this is no longer just about me I can't be selfish about it it is knowledge that previous generations would have done anything for and I was sitting on a potential time bomb, and I made a decision shortly after to go and get tested for BRCA, um, and the rest is history, right?
0: So the test results come back, and tell me about that moment.
1: Um, so I can... Yeah, I was sitting there. My husband, well, my fiance at the time, Chris, was sitting next to me as well. And the geneticist who gave my mum her results handed me a piece of paper and she said, Crystal, you're positive, but your outcome will be completely different to that of your mum's." And I didn't cry. And I just looked at her and I said, tell me how. And she said, you need to go home and you need to sit in this information for a while. There are lots of options. Screening is what they would have recommended. Um, Chemo prevention, preventative surgery. They were the three kind of options just very briefly that were mentioned to me. But they wanted me to go home and to kind of really sit in the information the first thing I did was go home and googled.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Doctor and, and Google, which is always
1: yeah. a bad thing. It's the worst thing that you could do because yeah. I'm looking at prevention, and it was like you'll lose your libido, your hair could fall out, you'll put on weight. Like I was like, I've just been pregnant, I don't want that. Like, and then it was screening. You know, it's not going to prevent cancer. It's going to pick up cancer, hopefully at an early stage, and you know, it, there was all of these things where I was like, "What? What am I going to do with this information?" It was actually a couple of people in America who were kind of I consider the pioneers in the BRCA space: um, Sue Friedman from Force and Lindsay Avner from Bright Pink, who are now friends of mine. Um, I reached out to them and I said, "What did you do? Like, how did you do it?" And um, they told me about their stories and. To me, I just needed that validation that what I was feeling was okay. I think when you get that piece of paper, when you're BRCA, especially if you've got a bad family history, it is literally you being told that your future includes cancer. I there was no There is no one in my family that has BRCA that hasn't had cancer. Two second cousins died in their 30s and 40s, one with breast, one with ovarian. Like, it's just, you get cancer and often really young, um, you know, my mom was lucky they got hers earlier than they did anyone else's. So she had a better prognosis and outcome, but she, you know, she had a no, ov- um, tumor on ovaries at 41 and like, it just, it's relentless in our family. Um, it gets you and it gets you multiple times until it kills you. So I did lobby to try and get access to early screening. And they said no to me, my mom was obviously 36. My nan was 44. We saw how young it was going down. And I said, I want to start my screening earlier. Right. And they said no. And so I wrote an essay for them about why they should let me access early screening. They wanted to start me at 35. And I said, no, I said, I will be so fearful and anxious and worried. I'll, I'll like kill myself with fear, like just every day not having this knowledge that to me i i ended up getting access to early screening i went for a mammogram every year and an ultrasound and i was 25 i decided to have a year later my preventative double mastectomy i went in for a mammogram and they found linear lines of calcification they ended up taking two different shots and they rushed me upstairs and said, you're having a biopsy. And I said, "Nope, take them now. I said, book me in. I said, I'm not going through this. I'm not, if it's nothing, I don't care. Right. I said, if it comes back that it was, you know, just just something that came out wrong, wrong on the mammogram, I'm not going to be angry at anyone. I just don't want them anymore. Um, And two weeks later, I was in having a double mastectomy. It came back that it was um, like atypical hyperplasia. So lots of angry little cells working their magic. But to me, it was the heart, like having your breast removed at 25 is challenging enough. But, you know, I only had to look next door to my mom, like next to me, my mom was sitting there. And, you know, everyone that had gone before me I no longer felt this cloud. And it was weird. My breasts, I I always say my breasts were like a tiny, lucky if you could call them a B cup, but they felt so heavy. So when I had them removed, my mastectomy, you know, I had saromas, I had lots of different complications, but nothing is more complicated than cancer. And to me, I was like, you know, I was in the same ward as a young woman who was in her thirties and she was very sick with cancer, and I just couldn't complain. I was like, I'm so lucky. So I got out my laptop and I decided that I was going to try and help others get access to genetic testing, to know their risk and to change their future, and I was no longer going to wallow in my self-pity and feel sorry for myself anymore, that I was going to turn my story into something positive.
0: Wow. Oh, wow. Now, did you opt for reconstructive surgery or no?
1: Yeah, I did. So it's not been easy. Like I think um, I want to make it clear, like sometimes a mastectomy is so easy and it goes so well. But for me, I'm on to my fourth surgery. So I had um, an issue with the first implant. Then um, I had another set of implants and then those exploded. Like literally. Oh, my goodness. And I had silicon going through my body. That was last year. And then I had to have them replaced. And I've still got a bit of nerve pain. And uh, it's not easy, but it's much easier than cancer. So I can't. (laughs) I want to be open and transparent about like it's mastectomies. There can always be complications and it's not that pain free. And it, you know, sometimes there are issues that arise, but yeah, I I looked at the surgery that my nun had. She had concave chests. My great-grandma I used to hear the stories, she couldn't even have prosthesis, she had stockings with bird seeds in them. And when it was humid, the little shoots would come up out of them. And no. Yeah. So that wow. I you know, I've heard stories. It's like not old wives tales in my family, like instead of sharing stories of, you know, bygone eras, we would be sharing stories of war, like what my family found cancer. And I just would hear those growing up. And I just know that I was, I just call myself the lucky one, even though I've had lots more surgeries that kind of pale in comparison to the mastectomy. To me, I go, I'm still lucky, like, the thing that I say every morning when I get up, up, out of bed, I go, I'm breathing, it's a good day. Oh. And everyone, so positive. And I'm like, oh sorry. <laughs> but I'm like, I love my life. I love my husband. I love my kids.
0: I'll do anything to fight for it. Oh, you're so gracious. Really, so gracious. Um what did your mother think of your decision? She said it's got to be your decision. Um, But you knew deep down,
1: like, I'm her only daughter. Mm. My brother doesn't carry the gene mutation, thank goodness. Um, She was, she didn't want to tell me to do it, but you could see, especially when um, she was, she went literally great when um, she was waiting outside um, when I had that mammogram at 25. And she went grey, like when they said we're actually going to take her upstairs for a biopsy. And she, she I've never seen someone, like, the blood drain from her face. And when I said oh, I'm having my breast removed, she's like, oh, she's breathing. So <sighs> I think she did well by not being opinionated too much about it. She let me make my own decision, um, and I think that's really important. But I could see that she was... You know in some way shape or form she was desperate for me to do something whatever it was just do something
0: oh wow oh my goodness um i'm curious um and i don't know how much it made news uh, there in australia um do you think it hurt or helped or again did it even make the news when angelina jolie wrote that long article about her experience with the broca gene and what she did I so obviously I
1: created Pink Hope, um, and that had been going for a few years, and it was so hard. Like Braca didn't really have much of a profile. I shared my story with 60 Minutes. I've been on three times now. Um, I lobbied really hard. Have won so many accomplishments in terms of getting Braca on Medicare and making sure equitable access and. But that moment, when Angelina shared her story, I actually was picking up my son from school and um, the Today Show called me and said, Crystal, and I was like, yes, because I'd been on a few times. And they said, Angelina has your gene mutation. And I was like, who? (laughs) And they were like, Angelina Jolie has your gene mutation. And I was like, in one moment, the whole, I was gifted the BRCA gene mutation. Because I didn't sleep for three days. I, I think I probably had about four hours sleep. I was going live to CNN. I was on, I'm telling you, every piece of coverage that I could get to talk about Bracker and the issues that it faced. I, I think, honestly, I probably did 300 interviews in some way, shape or form. I had my mum, my husband, my dad. Um, I had three Pink Hope ambassadors at the time volunteering. In one morning, I had every news crew from every station, TV station in the country out out the front of my house. I have never experienced anything like it in my life. Um, And I was going to shut the doors with Pink Hope. It was the hardest thing. It was so hard doing not-for-profit and talking about something that was at the time considered rare and niche and... In that moment, she raised it to the point where people could understand. People knew what BRCA was. I don't think there is any failings in that. Um, I think that that she gave us was a gift and a platform to have further, more meaningful discussions. And it's now research. We now have PARP inhibitors. We now have things that we have been hoping for, for generations and generations Um, and it was about two years, was it about 18 months after Angelina shared her story, I got a call um, that she was going to be in Australia and they asked if I would meet with her at her film premiere um, and I got picked up in a big, beautiful car and I thought I'd be one of the people that meet her and if you Google, there's a picture of Angelina hugging me. And Aww. I literally just said to her, Thank you so much. Like, not only did you help keep the doors of Pink Hope open, but you gave me a platform to make serious change. That that just was it that just cemented all the hard work that we'd been doing for so long as a family. Um, you know, that was pretty awesome getting to meet Angelina, I have to admit. <laughs> I got to hug Brad too. That was <laughs> Up there. <laughs> they were both really nice and they listened to my story and we chatted and ultimately she was just a mum and she just knew what it was like. So um for just, me that was like
0: such a defining moment it was like, God, if the power of a story, right? Yeah, uh, you know, with my not with Cancer You, but with my nonprofit that we've had exact same challenges. And there have been some very famous people who have died from liver cancer and their families won't even talk about it.
1: I feel, you know, BRCA was one of those things that no one really talked about. It was just so rare. And I just really found it hard to to get the support needed. Um, And I worked so hard. I worked day and night um, on it. So I know what it's like for those rarer, or cancers that don't have that platform. I Because back in the day, even when my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer, no one wanted to talk about it. It was embarrassing. Like people would laugh at me when they found out that my mum had breast cancer when I was 14. They were like,
0: what? what? Yeah. Yep. You have got to be kidding me. It's changed.
1: It really has. Like breast cancer especially, you know, it's become a movement. I and- do hope you know when it comes to cancers like liver cancer and those cancers that don't have that platform that we all we all do our part to raise every cancer up because cancer like it's the biggest pandemic of humans ever.
0: I just I'm I'm just having such a hard time with people laughing at you because I'm older than you and by a good ten years and it might be different because my mother was a nurse. And so I grew up around hospitals and doctors and, and I was somewhat comfortable in that environment. So I just can't even imagine that if my mother had had cancer and I was that age that anyone would have laughed. Um, Although we certainly had people who made weird assumptions about my sister's liver cancer. So. um, Wow.
1: Compassion and empathy. I've learned it as I got older and everything that I went through um with my family we just have to be non-judgmental and kind to everyone because life can be tough for a lot of people um and I just think compassion and empathy and remembering we're all humans and I yeah like it, it was hard being in high school and going through all of that and then and then hating my own breasts and my own body. But I think it really did, it's made me who I am today and you can't really hate the life experiences that, is, that have made you who you are. You can hate the things that have happened to you or your family, but it's taught me to just be kinder and more compassionate and have empathy because everyone's going through something.
0: What was your worst moment? And I'll let you decide whether that was about you, your mother, your grandmother. Like what was your worst moment in, in all of it?
1: In all of it, I would say, and it's not even related to BRACA and the breast can um, the breast cancer and things like that, it was when I was thirty four, I had a prolapse. So I had adiosis on my uterus and had dragged everything out and I was in having surgeries that 60, 70, 80 year old women have and recovering, it just tore my body apart. I was so sore and sick and felt so deflated and that is my most recent,
0: you know what I mean? Like it was something that was quite large and can you explain, you need a, I feel so silly being a woman uh, and I've actually had a hysterectomy due to endometriosis, but I don't even know what you're talking about. So can you tell us what that is?
1: And my organs were falling out of me.
0: <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh my, do they know why?
1: Yeah. Cause my uterus was um 60 60 percent bigger than what it should should have been because it was full of atomiosis which is like internal endometriosis yeah okay this grew and grew and grew and then like everything couldn't hold up in there so um I was really it was I had to have everything removed obviously a hysterectomy and then I had to have like all like a lot of muscle work to get all of my recon like reconstruction as well and I'm still not hundred percent from it that was really hard like I've never cried so much in my life I just felt like my body was just failing me and I was like come on like please just give me a break I just want to have a normal year I mean, <laughs> No lie, like I have a major surgery or some kind of surgery every year for some reason. I always say my body's a lemon. I would trade it in if I could, but you, you can't trade your body in, so I've got to do the best what I can with what I've got. Um, but that was really hard. That was really hard, like as a young, as a young woman um, to have that happen. Um, it just felt like another kind of blow in a way. Um, but you know how I turned it around I was in my hospital bed and recovering from really really awful surgery. I booked a trip to Italy.
0: Good for <laughs> you that's on my bucket list. Good for you I a trip to Italy um
1: and I literally laying in my hospital bed, I planned the whole thing and it was very spare at the moment and it was it was cutting it fine like my, Um, surgeon said I don't know you should be fine right and I was like I've got something to work towards so I'm going and I did and
0: it was the best experience of my life that's nice oh oh gosh certainly didn't have the exact same thing but I put off having a hysterectomy just out of fear I really just, it was like, I don't absolutely need it. And it will solve the problem and the pain. And um, what finally did it was two things. I was last year, I was in Los Angeles, as we were talking about before I hit record, and um, my annual trip, and I have such a high pain tolerance and got my period and I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. I was crawling. I was staying with my friend and I'm texting her. She'd already gone to work and I'm just asking her like where is the, you know, <laughs> where are your pain meds and I need something that's prescription. I <laughs> mean, where is it? Um, and it was it was really brutal, the pain and What's from endometriosis. Say? Yeah which got diagnosed very much later in life for me and um, because I just assume all women had that kind of pain. I mean, I really did. (laughs) I had no idea. And, uh, and that was it. When I came back from that trip, I was like, I cannot keep going through this every single month. And, and I was having migraines and, and, uh, and also I had had surgery earlier in the year um, to remove my gallbladder. So last year was my big surgery year. And, i had met my deductible so i pay for my own health insurance and i had made an appointment with my um, gynecologist and i said it has to be this year (laughs) like it has to be because i can't afford it next year (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's a really um good point
1: you know i live in australia so we have access to medicare so if we need to access um, doctors surgery acute care it's free but you have to be really really sick to get quick care otherwise you're on a wait list
0: well that's that leads me to a question i love to ask what is one thing that you would do to improve the healthcare system in australia and you only get one thing
1: oh goodness um i'm going to be selfish no. and i'm going to say okay. Genetic testing reform, um, better, clearer pathways, change of eligibility criteria, and just making it easier for people to access. Um, you know, my dream is population-based genetic testing.
0: So walk us through it, because I don't think we know. What does it look like right now if someone wants a genetic testing?
1: Um, so, it is on Medicare. Um, it, is a complica- it's, it is a reasonably complicated process. You go to your GP, then you go to get a referral to either a private genetic counselor or a family cancer clinic. You go through quite a lot of um, genetic counseling, which I think is imperative. Um, you're tested, but you've got to meet quite stringent eligibility criteria. If you have cancer, um, often your oncologist can refer you for a gym, um, uh, a, some sort of genetic test, which is really important because then it gives you, you know, information where you can choose a more personalised treatment, right? Yes. But, you know, looking at it from a preventative health standpoint, I speak to scientists and researchers and they said we're actually missing a huge percentage of people um, who don't have that atypical family cancer history. Um, It could have gone through three generations of men in their family. And how can you get those diagnoses of cancers mapped out perfectly? What if you're adopted? What if you're all of these different things? Um, And I think we will over time move to that way of thinking um, that way of prevention And it's not right for everyone. Not everyone wants a piece of paper that defines their future. Some people just want to bury their heads in the sand and live in the moment, and that's fine. Everyone is their own individual person, and I'm all for that. But I've seen what cancer, you've seen what cancer can do to a family if you can prevent that in anyone else um, through a simple blood test um, and give them the option to really mitigate risk. And that's not not necessarily doing what I did going in and removing the organs that put you at risk. That's screening, that's, you know, just being far more aware of your body that's just being more in control and try and mitigate that risk. And for me, genetic testing has saved my life. You know, I've spoken a few times to Mary Claire King, the one who found the BRCA gene mutation, and she said every day that a woman with a BRCA gene gets breast or ovarian cancer that is a missed opportunity and i really do believe that is that i have so many people through the work that i've done you know i've got a dear friend at the moment she's just turned 40 got two young boys she's got breast cancer and she's she's dying right um and yeah it's it's horrible Mm. and if we can make take active steps to enable people to know their risk and change their future then i think that is the best outcome of all and yeah i think that genetic testing can and does do that
0: um well that definitely leads me to before we do the rapid fire questions tell us what your organization does Yeah, so I founded
1: Pink Oak just on the pretense of creating that sense of community um, for people that are at risk, but it's grown into a preventative health movement. So we've lobbied for change, for BRCA gene testing, for breast density reform, for lots of different key issues for our community. Um, And I've actually founded now um, a company called called Humanised Health because, in you know, I think putting humans at the centre of everything, real patient experience, real lived experience, real stories, that's all that matters. Like I think if we share those stories, give people a platform, it can lead to change. I don't think governments, institutions, industry necessarily can change things. It's people that lead to social change. So I think we all have a responsibility if we can to share our stories or if we don't want to, give a platform to people so they can.
0: Wow. That is amazing. That, uh, that, that is so amazing. I'm have to say I'm a little speechless. (laughs) I just, you know, I just, and
1: I I think you're amazing what you've done. Like just, you know, know, and you go and see your sister every year. Like she is the reason you do what you do. And I think like, that there's nothing more powerful than that because that is a woman on a mission, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, abs- absolutely. Um, in the US, I think we have a reputation with our healthcare system being so bizarre and screwed up. And here's how weird it is I was able to get a mammogram, actually, even told to get a mammogram when I was 35 because my maternal aunt had breast cancer and eventually it did come back and she passed away from it um and and at that time I had private insurance but still even 35 I thought well that's a little unusual um and, and and I they sent me a birthday card you know oh and by the way due to your family history and I was like okay fine that seems a little strange but all right because it was really drilled into me you don't need a mammogram until you're 40.. And, uh, and yet the insurance that I have now, because I pay for my own insurance that I buy directly from the government, I have a dental insurance for a minor child that I don't have, <laughs> but I personally don't have dental insurance, like just the way the insurance is structured. So, so I could basically give my dental insurance to my next door neighbor, but I can't use it for myself. It's, oh. Like
1: like in the USA, like I do, I know so many people over there. I've got a lot of family over there. The healthcare system is broken and that's being kind. It really is. And you have to fight. As taxpayers, as humans, um, as leaders of the first world, uh, you know, (laughs) to have such a broken healthcare system um, is, it's, not fair. It's not fair for you, for everyone in the USA, especially people who are under the poverty line and who can't access health. Um, it's a really horrible place to get sick.
0: Yeah. All right, well, we will end on a very light note. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? I'm ready. All right, can't wait to hear the answers. Um, beach, desert or mountains? Mountains. Surprised me with that one. Uh, Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones?
1: Rolling Stones.
0: What is one word that best describes you? Positive. <laughs> you said everybody tells you you're too positive. Uh, positive. Before, <laughs> that's okay. I like positive. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: Oh, my goodness. Probably the one that played at
0: my wedding, Ave Maria.
1: I do love opera. That's a beautiful song.
0: Last meal you want to eat?
1: It's, it's not going to be a rapid fire question, but I want to eat the platter of food that I had in Capri in Italy. I knew um, it was going to be Italy. <laughs> fresh seafood, fresh wine, ripe tomatoes. It was, if I have that,
0: it's a good day. Wow. Um, who is the last person you want to see? Oh, I can't, I can't say one last person because it has to be my husband, my kids. And so the last, that's, that's fair. Uh, the last <laughs> words you will speak. It was a wild ride. <laughs> and aside from Cancer you, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also be sure to tell us how people can get in touch with you. So,
1: force. So, Sue Friedman, who's a um, great friend of mine, has created an incredible organization. And um, yeah, especially for genetic mutation and hereditary cancer, they're incredible. And if anyone wants to find me, LinkedIn, Crystal Barter, or um, if they want to find Pink Hope on Instagram, at Pink Hope AUS or at We Humanize Health. And I'm, they just have to Google me, they'll find a way. <laughs>
0: And what was the first one again? Um, Are you talking about force
1: or? Force. 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 Yeah. So facing our risk of cancer empowered. So the Friedman, um, yeah, just has done so much global work in this space. And yeah, I fangirl her all the time. (laughs) people who have turned, like you, who have turned their story into purpose and who are really driven to use that to change things. Because I think if we all work together, um, things will be different for the next generation.
0: Yeah, I hope it has to be. It has, it needs to be. It's just, it has to be. It's not a choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, Crystal, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm already like, I will get back to Sydney one of these days. Yeah, and I, I have to know. hang out. <laughs> Take you out to dinner. We'll have we'll have a beautiful wine. Um, I'll,
1: I'll take you. You have to Google it. Hugo's in Manly. We'll sit
0: on the water, watch the sunset with a beautiful cocktail in hand. Oh my gosh! I actually know. Like as soon as you said said that, I remember. Like day two yeah. was Manly. It was and it was it was really wet. It was pouring rain. So unfortunately, all of my pictures of that area are just kind of gray and dreary but yeah I know that
1: that would be a good start for Sydney so (laughs) yeah we've just got to get over this crappy time in the world and the future will look bright we've just got to all work together and support each other and we'll be back on traveling the world and supporting each other and um, yeah it's Thank you so much. Like just even for the work that you do. Um, I'm a huge fan. Like I said, I've followed you on LinkedIn um, and just the work that you've done, um, you know, for for a space that does need it.
0: Thank you very much for sharing your story, Crystal.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.